It is, uh, we don't do a lot of traditional things as a church, but one of the things that's traditional to do on Easter is to say, he is risen, and then people respond with, he is risen indeed. So let's do that together, if you would uh, entertain me. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Oh, that's, that's a beautiful noise. Let's do it one more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. And that is why we are here today. Billions of people gather all around the world to celebrate Easter. That's what people are doing In every nation that exists, people are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. You are here today, even if normally you don't come to church on a Sunday. And there's something about Easter that draws people in. Even if that's once a year or twice a year that you come to church, there's something about Easter that you knew you wanted to be here today. But why? What is the message of Easter. What is it that compels people, that draws people all across the globe for thousands of years to celebrate on Easter? What is the message? You may think that the message of Easter is family and it's a time to eat dinner together and have ham or lamb or ram or other things like that that you decide to have on Easter. It may be bunnies and peeps and gross marshmallow candies and things like that. There's different things that we might think that Easter is about. And Many of us, of course, would say that Easter is about Jesus. And still, what does that mean? Yes, but what does that mean? What does it mean that the message of Easter is about Jesus? It's easy to get the message of Easter confused. It's easy to know the message in some ways and yet for it not to be clear. I don't know if you've ever tried to communicate to somebody and you thought you were being clear, but the message wasn't received with the clarity that you had hoped. I always think that sometimes that's funny when we try to communicate something and it doesn't quite come across the way that we thought. I came across a couple examples of this. This says, please pay your parking fee before existing. Oh, that's very, that just puts you in like an existential crisis. I don't know. How do I, what do I do? I like this one, illegally parked cars will be fine, they'll be fine. Like, as your car is being towed away, I thought you said it'd be fine. This is Richard Howard, scuba diva. If you ever wondered what scuba diva looked like, not exactly the picture I had in mind. I love this, you might not want to go to this place, please use your tongue, not tongs, or tissue when making your selection for your bagel. Just, uh, just grab it with your tongue, it's fine. Report, Armstrong, Lance Armstrong, you know how he won? You thought it was drugs, but there's an undercover report that it was rugs, as a matter of fact. Lance Armstrong was snorting rugs, injecting rugs, I don't know. And then, uh, you probably don't want to go to this place. This is McDonald's that is now hiring smiling (laughs) feces. Sorry, you know, a little potty humor is okay. And then, one. uh, this this is funny, maybe you've sent some texts before that you weren't very clear. I'm here for you, thank you, I'm going through a tough time, so it means a lot. Some of you are reading ahead. Sorry, I lost all my contacts. Who is this? This is your Uber driver. I'm here to pick you up. I love that just responds, oh, (laughs) there's not much else you can say at that point, right? And then finally, uh, for Easter, there was a banner printed, Chris is risen. We sang that at church actually once. Everybody is singing, Chris is risen. Let's just go with it. Just all the Chris's were were very happy. Those are silly. Those are silly, but... The more important the message is, the more important it is not to get confused. It's okay if you have a little typo here and there. It's okay if partially something gets confused. But the more important something is, the more important that that message not be confused. 
And the Bible says that the message of Easter is the most important message for the world. The Bible says that the message of Easter is the most important message for your life. That is what the Bible says. And so it's very important that we know what the message is, that it become clear for us, that we not get it confused. And yet, it is easy to miss what the message of Easter is. The Apostle Paul says this in the passage that we will be looking at. He says at the beginning, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain. He says he wants to make it clear because he knows that there is a tendency, even if we've heard about things, even if we know things in some way, there's a tendency for us to confuse the message to get it twisted, to get it wrong, to forget, to miss what it actually is, for it to be kind of there, but foggy. And so Paul says, I want to make it clear for you. I want to make sure that you get it, that you don't miss it. Easter says that there is a message for every hurt that you experience, for every trial that you are going through, for every suffering that you have and will face. For every sin, for every shame, for every guilt, for every longing and searching that you have, Easter said, there's a message for that, but it has to be clear. And so we are going to explore together what that is. It has to be clear. What is the message? And why is this message important? How does this message change us? And how can we use this message in our life? That's what we're going to explore together in our time. First, what is the message? What is the message of Easter that Paul says he wants to make clear for us? What is the message? Paul says, the next line, he says, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. Paul says, this is the most important message that you could ever have in your life. It was given to me, and I am now passing it on to you. And for thousands of years, that's been the same thing across the globe that the message was received and now has been passed on. Paul says it's the most important thing in life. What is the most important thing in life? What, what do people say is most important in life? If you just ask Mr. Google, he will say that the most important thing in life is being healthy. And that makes sense in a lot of ways. You can't really do anything else if you're not alive. And so we need to be physically healthy. Some other common answers that will come up on Google are things like your relationships or peace or family or purpose or your authenticity, work-life balance, becoming the best version of yourself. A lot of these things might be part of what we think of when we think of the most important things in life. Another popular question answer site, Kara says some of the most important things, never be afraid to ask questions, read, learn to be alone, Learn to get rid of kind of toxic relationships. And then the final one I love, never raise your voice against your grandparents, which is important. But why? What's the reason they say? Because they're big babies. That's an interesting logic. Honor your elders. Yes, why? Because they're babies. Oh, thank you. Maybe some of the grandparents here are offended, but I did not write this. There's a lot of things that we might consider important in life. Paul says he wants to give to us what is most important. Listen, this is so important. You can get a lot of things right in your life. You can get a lot of things right. You can get your marriage right. You can get family right. You can get your job right. You can get financially right. You can get physically right. You can get a lot of things right and yet miss what is most important. 
Wouldn't that be a tragedy? To get so many things right and yet miss what is most important. Paul says he doesn't want that to happen. Maybe some of you are Christians. And you've been Christians for a long time or maybe even not that long of a time. You've been, you've been Christians and yet you still in some way have missed what is most important. Gotten off track, forgotten, been distracted from what's most important. Maybe some of you are searching for what's most important in life. You've, you've seen that some of the things on here are important, that they do matter, and yet you feel, I'm still searching. I still am missing what's most important. Paul says he wants to give to us what is most important. What is the message of Easter? Here's what Paul tells to us. We'll look at each of these. He's going to give us several different things. And scholars will tell you that what we're about to look at are not actually the words of Paul. That this is a creed that the church used within just a few years of the resurrection of Jesus. A creed, a statement of truth that would be passed around so that various churches and Christians would say, yes, this is what we believe. And within just a few years of the resurrection, this was a creed that was being used to root and found the belief of the church. That's why Paul says, what I received, I pass on to you. Here's what he says. We'll look at each piece. He starts with that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried. Jesus, Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross about 2,000 years ago. He was crucified. That's a, that's a historical fact. Whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, most atheist scholars, all Christian scholars would believe there was a man named Jesus that died on a cross. That's the historical fact. But why? Paul gives us more than just the history. He gives us the interpretation of that. He says that Christ died for our sins. And that is kind of a harsh statement to make. For some of us, we might hear that and that can feel offensive. Christ died for my sins? What does the Bible mean when it talks about sin? The Bible talks about sin often, and the core of what sin is, is to reject God, to ignore God. That means this, you can live a really bad life, what we would think is bad, doing all the wrong things, that is sin. But it's also true that you can live a really good life and still ignore God, ignore the one that designed you, ignore the one that created you, ignore the one that made you, Ignore the one that brought you into existence. You could live your whole life rejecting, ignoring Him. And the Bible says that's what the core of sin is, a life separated from God. And that what happens is the punishment or what we deserve because of that is continued separation from God forever. That we deserve a life apart from Christ if that's what we have chosen. The punishment is death physically and spiritually. And yet... Paul says, Christ died for our sins. Not for his sins. He was innocent. He is God come in the flesh. The perfect man who lived the perfect life and yet died the death that we should die. One theologian says that what sin is, is man substituting himself for God. Us saying, I want to be first. I want to decide my life. Do it my way. Decide what is important to me. Build my life. The way I want things, it's man substituting himself for God. And what salvation is, is God substituting himself for man. What this means is this. We are all worse than we think we are. That's the bad news. We're all worse than we think we are. We actually reject and ignore the one that made us and deserve death. And yet, the good news is, we have a God that is better than we think he is. 
He loves us more than we could ever imagine. We have a great need, but we have a great God with a great love that gives a great salvation. That's what Paul is saying when he says Christ died for your sins. This is the love of God that is offered to us. And listen, most of you, if you think about God, whether you're a Christian or not, if you think about God, most people would say, most people in our country believe in God, some sort of supernatural power, some sort of higher power, something. Most people believe in God. And if you ask people, what, tell me about that God, most people will not say, oh, that God's really evil. He's out to get you. Most people will say, I believe in a God of love. And yet, what is the ultimate form of love? We know, even on a human level, that the ultimate form of love is self-sacrifice. The greatest stories that we love, the greatest movies, the greatest literature, they include some piece of somebody willing to lay down their life for others, for their country, for their friends, for their spouse, for their children. They are willing to die in somebody else's place. But it's only in Christianity that you actually have a God that says, I love you so much, I will sacrifice myself for you. It is a love that is unmatched in any of the proposed religions that are available. And it's the only love that actually exceeds our human expectations of what love is. Paul says Christ died for our sins. And secondly, he says that this was all done in accordance with the scriptures, according to the scriptures. Here's what this means. You have met, maybe you have read the Bible. Maybe it's sitting on a shelf. Maybe you've at least seen one. It's a best-selling book. And maybe you've seen it. And yet what Paul says is this, the Bible's not primarily about education just to teach you certain things. It's not primarily about inspiration just to make you feel good. The Bible is God's story of salvation. What God has been doing, the whole story of the Bible is that God created the world. He made it good and beautiful and wonderful. Some of you live in Denver. And you love the mountains. You love all that it has to offer. God made the world. He made it good. And beautiful, but we broke it. The Bible says we turned away from God, and when that happened, everything now is affected with sorrow and death and brokenness. And yet, God's plan throughout the Bible, what we see is His plan is He promised to send a Savior to redeem the world, to bring it back, to restore relationship, and one day to restore the world fully to what its intention was. This is what He means when He says, according to the Scriptures. The Bible is a book of the salvation of God. This is what he says. And then he says that he was raised on the third day. That's what we celebrate on Easter, that he was raised. That Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He did die, but he didn't stay dead. Listen, that's such good news because what it means, if Jesus is alive, what it means is you can know him. You can actually talk with him, engage with him, relate to him. He's not just a person you read about in a book and say that's an interesting historical figure. He had some interesting philosophies that might help in some ways. It's, if he's alive, it means you can actually talk with him. You can actually know him, not just know about him. He was raised on the third day. It means you can relate with him. It also means this, that when you are connected with him, the Bible talks about a union with Christ, a union with Jesus, that you are connected to him. When that happens... Who he is comes into your life, which means this, that if he is the one that has the power to defeat Satan and sin and death and the grave, that power comes into your life. 
When you are united to him, that power enters your life. And just as his body was resurrected, the future is guaranteed for you that if you are connected with him, your body will be resurrected. This gives you a great hope that this life is not all there is. But there is a future for you. There is a future of everlasting love and a renewed body. This is what it means that he is raised. This is available to us. And then finally, he says that he appeared to Cephas. That's another name for Peter, one of the apostles. Then to the 12 apostles. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. That's the brother of Jesus. Then to all the apostles. Here's what Paul's doing here. Here's what this creed is telling us. They know that this is not easily believable. Some of you are skeptical. Some of you have questions. Some of you aren't sure. They know that. That's why he is repeating, they, he appeared to these people. He appeared to these people. Because they know this is not an easily believable message. Sometimes we can hear this kind of stuff from the Bible, can hear about the resurrection, can hear about what these people believed and say, yeah, but that was the old days and people were weird and they believed weird things and they didn't understand like we understand. Maybe we kind of view it like, like uh, what I saw when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I remember standing in the, the aisles at the grocery store. And I don't think they have as much of this now because everything's online. But when I was a kid, they would have all sorts of these tabloids in the lines, right? This one's kind of old because Hillary Clinton adopts alien baby. I love it. It says official photos because not those fake ones. These are the official photos. Or Elvis running for president, the world's only reliable newspaper, by the way, in case we're wondering. This one's a little bit older, but this is fascinating for some of you, you Colorado people. Look what it says. Adam and Eve skeletons found in Colorado. The Garden of Eden, South Denver. You thought there was just like Applebee's and Red Robins down there, but apparently that's the Garden of Eden. Right next to the Home Depot is the Garden of Eden. That's what sometimes we think of when we think of sort of what Paul is saying here. Is yeah, didn't people just have these fantastical beliefs and they didn't really understand? But when Paul is saying all of this stuff about the appearances, what he's saying is, I know this is hard to believe. But you can fact check me, essentially. He's saying there's a bunch of people that are still alive that you can talk with about this, that you can speak to about this, that he appeared to all these people. Listen, here's what historians all agree on, whether they're Christians or not Christians. What they agree on is this, that the disciples, that the apostles, that these people here believed that Jesus appeared to them. They believed it. And so we have to ask, What's the best reasoning for that? What's the best reason? What's the best explanation that hundreds of people would believe that Jesus appeared to them? Is it mass hallucination? Medically, that's impossible for people to have mass hallucinations. A hallucination is a private experience that one person experiences. What's the best explanation that hundreds of people would say, we all saw him, he appeared to us? What's the best explanation for people that were fundamentalist Jewish people that would not expect that a man could be God. That would be the furthest thing from their religion. It would be blasphemy. That's why they killed Jesus. What would be the best explanation that they would go from that to believing? What would be James is the brother of Jesus? I don't know if you have any brothers and sisters. What would it take for you to believe that your brother was God? I, what would it take for your brother to believe you're a good person? That might be a stretch, just that, right? 
You won't even text your family back. Try to get them to believe that you're God. That's, that's going to be a big stretch. So this is why he's saying, listen, they, Jesus appeared to us. Jesus appeared to us. Historically speaking, people believed that. And either there's some crazy explanation, mass hallucination has never happened since, never happened before, or perhaps it's true. And Jesus actually appeared, resurrected from the dead. He died and then brought life. This is the message. You want to get the message clear? Paul says, here is the message of Easter. He knows it's easy to miss it. It's easy to forget. It's easy to just kind of invent our own meaning of what we want Easter to mean. Paul says, this is the message of Easter. And doesn't want us to miss it because he says, this is what is most important. Second thing that we see is not just the history, not just the facts of what happened, not just the content, but how does the message change us? How does the message actually affect somebody's life? How can it affect your life? How does it change somebody? What does it do in someone's life? And Paul's going to give to us his testimony. He says, here's the facts, here's what happened, but let me tell you what it did in my life. Here's what Paul says. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have believed. What Paul tells us is he changed. He experienced a radical transformation. Paul hated the church. He was a persecutor of the church. He sought to see the church shut down. He oversaw the murder of Christians. He worked to get people imprisoned. Paul hated the church and everything that it stood for. What would it take to see a persecutor become a pastor? What would it take to see someone that was so against the church and see them actually become its biggest proponent? What would it take? Paul says, this message drastically changed me because Jesus appeared to me. And if that's true, if there's a power that could change someone like Paul, then there's a power that can change you and me. And here's what Paul says happened. Here is what the message offers. Here is what it does. At least two different things. The Bible gives us a lot, but there's at least two things that we can see of how the message changes us. Paul says that first, it gave him a new identity. It gave him a new identity. See, you and I, all of us, in various ways, with various words, we all want validation in some way. We want respect. We want acceptance. We want approval. We want worth. We want to know that our life matters. We want to know that we've gotten it right, whatever that is, that we're a good friend or a good mom or a good dad or a good spouse or whatever that is. We, we want to know that we've kind of made it and that we're good and we're not messing it up. We seek to build an identity. I think it's well encapsulated in the army's phrase, be all you can be. This was the slogan when I was a kid, and then they had a different slogan and various slogans for a while, and those didn't work, and they just recently brought this back in 2023. Be all you can be. Maybe you're in the military. I know uh, I, I'm not trying to denigrate this at all, but this slogan really encapsulates that idea that we are trying, in some ways at the bottom of the rope, trying to get to the top. We are trying to have a worth, to know that our life counts, to know that it matters in some way. But here's what happens. If you reach the top, it's easy to be self-righteous. 
It's easy to look down on other people. It's easy to feel like you've arrived and why can't those people arrive? It's easy to have a strong sense of judgment towards others. And if you're at the bottom, it's easy to be discouraged. I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to live a good life. I'm trying to do the right things. I'm trying, I'm trying. I want acceptance. I want to be respected, but I feel I'm at the bottom. It's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to be down. It's easy even to despair. And maybe you're not at the top or the bottom. You know what it feels like in the middle? Stress. It feels like I better not fall. And maybe with just a little more work and a little more energy, I might be able to get to the top. I need to be all that I can be. This is often what our human condition is, as we base our identity in various things that if we can just get them, we'll know that we matter. You know what Paul says? Paul says he had it all. He was good. He was from the right family, the right tribe. He had done the right things in the right ways. He was zealous for his religion, all the things. He had done it in what he viewed as right. And he said it was so wrong. And he found something so better. Here's what he says. Now, I am who I am by the grace of God. It's by the grace of God that I am who I am. It's not by my earning. It's not by my effort. It's not by what I've achieved. I've received something. Something has been done for me. That's a different kind of identity. There's a kind of identity that is what I can achieve, and there's a kind of identity that I can receive. Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Here's what that means. The Bible teaches that Jesus' record, his perfect life, he's perfectly righteous in every way. And that record is given to us when we put our trust in him. He's at the top of the rope. And when we put our trust in him, our record is swapped with his record. It's like in school, if, if you cheated at one point and you swapped a report card, that you'd probably be found out because there'd be a different name on it. But this is Jesus saying, I give you my record. I give you my report card. What I have done, who I am, becomes who you are. That's a new identity. That's what Paul says that he has. Listen, we all want validation, respect, approval, but it matters who it comes from, right? It matters who it comes from. If you're, if you're walking down the street and someone walks up to you and puts a medal around your neck and says, congratulations, you might say, uh, thank you, but that's probably it. But it's a big difference if that medal is the Medal of Honor from the President of the United States, or it's a big difference if that's a medal that's pinned on you for some act of valor, or if it's the Nobel Prize that's given to you, commissioned by a committee that matters in some way. We want validation, acceptance, respect, approval, but it matters whose voice it is. This says that the most important voice in the world, the God of the universe, makes you who you are. That you can have a new identity that isn't based on what you do. It's not based on what your parents have said. It's not based on your work. It's not based on your past. It's not based on how well you do or haven't done. It's given to you by the grace of God because of what Jesus has done. You know what this does? It gives us rest. You're not climbing on the rope anymore. It gives us humility because we're able to look at those at various places in life and still have a humility towards them. It gives us confidence. Because we're not down and discouraged, we're actually able to work from something instead of for something. It gives us joy, it gives us thankfulness because we know that everything we have is a gift that we have received. And then finally, the second thing that Paul says is that this message gave him a new purpose. He says, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. 
But he says, I worked hard. When this came into my life, when I experienced the message of Easter, it changed my life by giving me a new identity. But it also changed my life by giving me a new purpose. Maybe this is what you're looking for in your life. Something to work hard for. Some way to matter. Some bigger story to be a part of. We all want meaning. We all want purpose in some way in our life. Paul says, I found a reason for that. Maybe you've become distracted. Maybe you one time had a longing for purpose and meaning and the cares of life, the routines of life have just kind of gotten in the way. Paul says, this gave me a new purpose to live for. This is what God can do in your life. He can give you something that you say, I want to work hard for. Because when the resurrection message comes into your life, you are able and willing and wanting to say, I want to build my life around this. I want to help others know this. I want to help people experience the good news that can come into their life. What would happen in your life if you had a new identity that wasn't based on what you could do, but what was given to you? What would happen in your life if you had a new purpose that you were able to say, there is something worth fighting for and living for and dying for even? What would happen? Paul says, this is what the message of Easter gives to us. This is how it can change each of your lives. Paul would say, it changed me. It can change you. Then here's the final thing. What do we do with this message? What do we do with this message? You've heard it, even today. But what do we do with it? You've heard it, but now what? Paul wants to make the message clear. He wants to show us its power, but he also wants to help us know how we actually use this message. He gives us three things at the beginning. The first word that he used was receive. I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, he said, the gospel message that you have received. That's the first step. I don't know if you have received the gospel message. I don't know if you have received the message of Easter. Paul says that's where it begins. Listen, God looks at your life. I don't know all of you, but God sees your life. He knows what's happening in your life. And when God looks at your life, he says, I can do something here. When God looks at your life, the Bible often uses the metaphor of a seed for the gospel. It's kind of planting season right now. And we, we have an empty field in our field is a big exaggeration. We have an empty square in our backyard. <clears throat> and it's empty. But we look at it and say, something can happen here. With a seed planted, if this ground receives the seed, something can happen here. Life can happen here. Fruitfulness can happen here. Blessing can happen here. God looks at your life. He sees the need. He sees the hurt. He sees the pain. He sees the searching and the longing. And when God looks at your life as the ultimate gardener, he says, I can plant something here. I can do something here. I can take the seed of the gospel and put it in your life if you open up and receive. That's the beginning place. Are you open to receive what God wants to do in your life? He wants to. Are you willing? That's the first thing, to receive. But then secondly, Paul says that we can take a stand on the gospel. That's a different kind of language than just to receive. It's that we can stand. It's not just that we hear the gospel. It's that we take our stand upon the gospel. It's not just a message to be heard. It is a foundation that we can build our life upon. It is a foundation that we can actually live upon and return to over and over again. Here, here's what this means. 
about a year ago or so, there was a big windstorm. Our whole fence blew down. Some of you have probably had this happen before. Big windstorm blew the fence down. And part of the reason for that is because the fence is really old. It didn't really go all that deep. It didn't really go. It was just kind of wood and it had rotted and it didn't go deep into the ground. It couldn't withstand the blowing. It couldn't withstand the pressure. It couldn't withstand anything because it didn't have a strong stand in its roots. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying things are going to come at you in your life. Things that you're afraid of. Hurts, pains, relational problems. Things will come at you in life. You will face difficulty. Rains and winds and sufferings will blow upon your life. But you can stand. There is a source of strength that you can return to and plant yourself in so that you do not move when the things around you are blowing. When the earth around you is shaking. You can stand firmly. This is what Paul says, to take your stand in the gospel. In the gospel, you see the wisdom of God, that what looked like everything was lost was actually victory. You see the wisdom of God that he was planning something in accordance with the scripture for a long time. So when things are coming at you, you can say, I know that I don't understand this, but God is wise, and you take your stand. And when things are coming at you, the gospel reminds you that God loves you. And so when things are coming at you, you can say, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand why this is happening. But I know that God loves me because on the cross, he died for me and he raised for me. And when things are coming against you, you can take your stand in the gospel knowing God is powerful. If he can raise from the dead, then that power can enter into my life. And so when things are coming at me, I can say, I know God is in control. I know that God has this. And that puts your roots down deep. That makes it so things will blow, but you can stand. Paul says, take your stand in the gospel. And the final word he uses is that the gospel is that which we are being saved. To be saved means we have a need. It means we need help. You probably feel that in various ways in your life. Your career, finances, family, marriage. Physical, emotional. And Paul says the gospel saves us. And there's two ways that that's true. The first is that we are saved from death to life, from far from God into relationship with God. That's the initial moment of salvation that is available to you today if you turn to him. But there's a second way that the Bible talks about salvation. When he says you are being saved, that means you are being transformed. You are being changed. That as you take the gospel more and more into your life, you will become who he designed you to be. You will not be all you can be. You will be who he can make you to be. That's better. That's what it means to be saved. He will change you, transform you. You will become who you were always made to be. You can be saved in both of those ways. And yet, it happens as you hold it. As you hold on to the message. Not just hear it, but hold on to it. There was a game that we used to play when I was younger. Take a hot coal, put it in your hand, and just kind of shake it around so it doesn't actually burn you. You just kind of hold it. We're, we'll play this later with the kids. But you put the hot coal in. That's what they're doing back there with your kids right now. No, I'm just kidding. You put the hot coal in your hands and, and you shake it around. But here's what happens. Because you don't actually hold on to it, 
the power doesn't actually get to you. Because you don't grasp it, the heat doesn't actually affect your whole body, doesn't cause pain. You don't feel the power because you're not holding on. It's just rattling around. Paul says, you will be saved. You will be changed. You will be transformed if you hold on to the gospel. If you allow it to have its power surge through you. Not just casually. Listen, some of you are Christians. You would check all the boxes. You would say you believe, but are you holding on to the gospel? Is it actually affecting and changing your life? Paul says that's what he wants for you. That's what's available for you. That's what God can do in your life. That's my timer. <clears throat> Easter. Easter's a great message. It's a great message. It says that it can bring joy into your life. That it can bring hope into your life. That it can bring power into your life. But it must be clear. That's why Paul begins saying, let me make it clear for you. Listen, God wants to make it clear for you so you don't miss what he has. So here's what this means as I close. If you're not a Christian, would you come to Jesus today? He invites you. He says, come. That can be just a simple prayer to say, God, I need you. Jesus, will you come into my life? Will you forgive me of my sin? I, I trust, I believe you died for my sin and I want that gift. Come to him today. You don't have to wait. Receive the gospel. If you're not a Christian, maybe you feel like, ah, I'm just not sure, I'm not ready for that. Ask questions then, explore, come around or talk to me. We, we love to help you. A lot of times we have questions and we need to figure things out. That's okay. This is a place that you can ask questions. Second thing it means is if you are a Christian, if you're a Christian, God wants you to live, to take your stand, to hold on to this gospel. But you cannot do that alone. Can't do it by yourself. You can't live holding on to the gospel, standing in the gospel by yourself. It takes a community of people. That's why God designed the church to give you a family to be with you, to help you together to be able to stand, together to be able to hold on. You know, if you ever played Red Rover, Red Rover, and one person standing there is going to get plowed over. But when you're holding on together, you're able to stand. That is what he wants for you. He wants you to hold on to the gospel with a community. And so that's why we invite you. If you're here, if you're new, if you're checking things out, if you don't have a church that is your home, would you fill out that connect card? We want to be able to be a community that you can stand with, that you can hold on to the gospel with, that you can continually experience bringing your life into line with and becoming who God designed you to be. I have to tell you this, it's easy to miss the message of Easter. It's easy to hear it. It's easy to celebrate it one day a week. It's easy to put a nice dress on, nice suit on. I, I wear this once a year, goes back in the closet. It's easy to do that on Easter and yet miss what he has for you. I don't want you to miss what God has for you. Paul says, let me make it clear. He wants you to experience the power he wants you to know the truth. He wants to give you a new identity. He wants to give you a new purpose. He wants to give you something you can stand upon. He wants to give you something that you are able to receive and bears fruit in your life. That's what God wants for you. And so we are going to close. Worship team, you guys can come on up. We, 
we're going to respond, and there's a few ways that we respond. One of the ways that we respond is by taking communion. If you're a Christian, hopefully you've got one of those little cups on the way in. If not, you can grab it during the, the music. But when we take communion, what we're remembering is that Jesus died for our sin, that his body was broken, that his blood was shed so that we could be forgiven. And he raised so that we could have life with him. So we're going to respond by doing that. That's a time also that if you're not a Christian, you can pray and say, God, I want that. Let that be for me. And second, we're going to sing a couple songs. We're going to sing because we believe he's good and we want to praise him. And then third, we're going to have a baptism. Baptism is a time that people declare their connection, their union, their unified with Christ, that just as Jesus was dead and buried, we say, my old life is dead and buried. And just as Jesus came back to life, people rise out of the water to declare, I am his now. My sins are forgiven and I belong to him. So we're going to respond in those ways and then we're going to respond with a party to celebrate what Jesus has done. If you're new, this is a great time to fill out that card also. We would love to connect with you. Jesus is alive. He is risen. And he is risen indeed. And because of that, we are here. Pray with me. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your message that you give to us, that you want us to experience life with you. God, I pray for anyone that does not know you, that you would even now just reach into their hearts, let them hear your voice. And God, for those of us that are Christians that know you, would you move in us to experience a deep joy, to be awakened to who you are, to let this message be clear in us, maybe in a way that it hasn't been in a long time. Make it clear. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.